How's everyone doing today? We good? So great to see you all this morning. How about we put our hands together for the worship team today, huh? Woo! Hallelujah. Love it. Thank you, guys. That was beautiful. That was just beautiful. I could have stayed there all morning. Um, well, hey, my name is Nick. If I haven't met you yet, you're tuning in uh, with us. For the first time on the live stream, we're here in person. Thanks for joining us. Um, we're going to be in Acts today. As that video showed, we're going through a sermon series on Acts through probably the rest three quarters of the year. We're going to go through halfway through the book of Acts. And the sermon series is entitled Acts of the Holy Spirit. Today, open up your Bible, get your Bibles, turn them on, tap there. We're going to be in Acts 2. Acts 2, verses 1 through 13, talking about the day of Pentecost. Who's, who's here excited today about talking about Pentecost? Yeah, 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 amen, me too. So uh, to catch you all up to speed on where we're at in Acts 2, if you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, you know that where we're at in the book of Acts today is that Jesus has ascended to heaven to the right hand of the Father where he is seated above all rulers, authority, power, and dominion, and above every name that is named. That's where our king has ascended to. And when he ascended in the book of Acts, what we see, he told the church, he said, hey, tarry in Jerusalem, wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high, until you receive the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so then last week, what we looked at, we looked at how the early church waited for the Holy Spirit. And what we saw, what we looked at uh, primarily in Acts 1, I've got to check my notes here, Acts 1, 14, proof text, uh, is this, as we looked at this verse, all these the men, the women, the, the diversity across socioeconomic and political and, and, and all those kind of various lines, all these, the diverse, were what? They were with one accord. And we looked at last week how that word one accord in the Greek means homothumidon, means same passion. That all of these had a same passion, a same zeal, a same hunger, a same fire, a same love for their Savior, for Jesus, the one they found of surpassing worth, who's called them all out of their sin and out of their, uh, the, the, them kind of uh, their professions and, and leading them to the source of everlasting life, Jesus Christ himself. So they have the same passion. And what were, what were they doing? All these with one accord in the upper room, what were they doing in the temple or in the upper room? It says they were continually, week in and week out, day in and day out, they were seeking the presence of God via worship and prayer. They weren't seeking praise. They weren't seeking prayer. They were seeking the Lord through those means. Collectively, they were united in their passionate pursuit of God. So they're waiting. What we saw last week is that their waiting wasn't, hey, you know, binging Netflix in the upper room and just waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit, right? They were hungry for the Lord. They were going to pray. They were going to worship him. Why? Why are they going to worship him? Because he's seated on the throne. He, he resurrected. He conquered sin and death and the devil. He's worthy of our praise. That's why we sing when we come here as we're giving praise, uh, the, the glory and the praise and the honor that is due the name of Jesus. That's why we sing. We're not just singing songs. We're singing to him. We're singing to him, right? And so that's what they were doing. They were getting their hearts ready for, the, <laughs> for their divine guest who is about to show up, right? And then the divine guest wasn't going to be a guest. It's going to be the Holy Spirit who's going to dwell within them and never leave, okay? So they were getting ready. They're getting their hearts ready, and they're getting the ministry ready. We see they restored the apostolic office through uh, God's word and through prayer and through the Old Testament practice of casting lots that Matthias was chosen as the 12th man to restore the, the office that Judas uh, left. And so the ministry is restored and ready. Their hearts are ready. And then we're going to see today that the Holy Spirit shows up. And we're going to see what it looks like when God the Holy Spirit manifests his presence in his church today. All right, so buckle up. Uh, we're going to go through this verse by verse. Let me pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll dive in. Well, Heavenly Father, we just come before you with hearts full of thanksgiving and praise. For how else could we come before you, Lord Jesus? 
for all that you've done for us, God. For all that we possess in you, Christ Jesus. We could stay here all day and praise you and not waste a minute of our lives for what you've done for us. So I just pray, come Holy Spirit, that you would come, Holy Spirit, and you would have your way, God. Soften our hearts to you and what you want to do in and through us, God. Would I decrease? Would I be completely forgotten and washed away? And would you increase and be magnified, Jesus, the living God? So Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would come and you'd have your way with your word and with your people, Lord God. We love you. We bless your name, Jesus. And we pray in your name. Amen. All right, well, verse 1 is where we're going to start. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So let's stop right there. What is the day of Pentecost? Well, this was the day of Pentecost was kind of the the Feast of Harvest. It was a, a Jewish festival, one of the major three on Israel's annual calendar. And this is what the festival in Jerusalem entailed. Pilgrims, Jewish pilgrims from across the globe would come. This was 50 days after Passover is when this uh, Feast of Harvest would take place. The day of Pentecost is the Feast of Harvest. And Jewish pilgrims would come to Jerusalem with what? They wouldn't come to the Lord's temple empty-handed. They wouldn't come to the Lord empty-handed. They came with the first fruits of their harvest, of their crop. And it was twofold. One, they would say, they would give the first fruits of their harvest, the first ingathering of their harvest to the Lord and say, Lord, this is yours. You get the first fruits because it's your blessing. You're our provider. You're our sustainer. It's yours. So we give it back to you. And then it was a prayer. So it's an offering of their first fruits and then a prayer saying, Lord, may the first fruits of the harvest be indicative of what the rest of the harvest this year is going to look like. Okay? So on the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost is a feast, a festival of harvest. And it's no accident that um, 3,000 souls on the day of Pentecost were saved. Uh, were saved. And that was indicative, that was the first fruits of the harvest of salvation that was going to sweep across the face of the earth. That was the first ingathering of the harvest. That was the, that was the Feast of Harvest. It was the day of Pentecost. It was the Feast of Harvest. So that's why the Jewish pilgrims are there from across the nation, we'll see in our text, in Acts, in Acts 2, uh, pretty much the ends, uh, north, south, east, west of the Roman Empire, came to Jerusalem and were gathered there to celebrate and honor the Lord with the first fruits of their harvest. And so what we see here is that the early church again, they were together in one place. They were together in one place. And the picture I get, right, is probably a room this big, right? Uh, archaeological digs and stuff would say that the, the room that the early church was in, it was a pretty massive room. The house they were in was a pretty big room. And it was probably this size, roughly, maybe probably a little bit more people than this. Maybe the Apostle John's up here on the guitar playing Waymaker, right? You guys got your coffee and tea. Peter's going to come up here, preach a sermon, uh, so on and so forth. Just, you know, a comfortable, cozy, you know, worship gathering. It's just a really pleasant time, okay? And then let's read what happens in verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, right? Wow. Thank you, Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes in power. When Jesus says power, that word is dunamis, the same way we get the word dynamite. This is omnipotent power that the Holy Spirit entered the room with. He enters in power. So much power here that Luke almost can't put it into words. We see here in Luke 2, uh, Acts 2, uh, 1, through, uh, 1 through 4, that the language that Luke is using to describe, he says like. 
the presence of God came in like a rushing wind. Like, I can't even describe it. It wasn't a rushing wind. It was something the equivalent of like a rushing wind. He's trying to say, imagine church, transit church, that if God manifested his presence in the way he did in the upper room in Acts 2, that it'd be like a category five hurricane entered the room, right? Things would be shaken and stirred. When Watch this. When divine omnipotence meets human frailty, things are going to shake and bake a little bit, all right? And that's, and that's what we're seeing, right? That's what we're seeing. Uh, it's, it's beautiful, actually. And, 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 and he doesn't stop here talking about a mighty, some translations say violent wind. He doesn't stop there. And then he said divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested above their heads. And when you picture fire, don't picture like the fire emoji that you used to text, you know, after you find a good worship song, like this is fire. It's not little fire emojis hanging around. It's the same fire. Fire throughout scripture, throughout the Old Testament is a visible manifestation of the presence of God. That's what it is. Moses in the burning bush, the bush is being consumed, not being consumed, but there's a fire taking place. And then the same, watch this, the same fire that rested above their heads, the manifest presence of God, visible manifest presence of God. This is all in scripture. Go read your Bibles. Is the same fire that rested above the tabernacle. It's the same fire that rested above the tabernacle. When the glory of God filled the tabernacle after the, after the, the exodus from Egypt. And so what's happening here on the day of Pentecost is God is moving into his new residence. God is filling his temple. He's filling his house. Why would he do that? Because God is going to dwell in the midst of his people. We're his house, and we're not just the temple of God. We kind of we always focus on the temple, but we, we, never, we never focus in on what's the purpose of the temple. It's so that God can dwell in our midst. Well, let me prove that to you. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells? In you. Look at that language, dwells in you. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Talks about the beautiful work of Jesus and the result for the church. Then, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into what? A holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you also are being built up together into what church? A dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. And if you read your Bible from start to finish, you see this common redemptive thread of one of the key messages of the Bible is God's relentless pursuit of dwelling in the midst of his people. And, and, and I can't go into too much detail here, but I preached a sermon on this in August, a shameless plug. It's really, it's, I think it's really helpful. It's a really good kind of uh, redemptive, historical, biblical teaching on this, this idea. God's spiritual house in August in our first Peter sermon series. Please go watch that. I'm going to give you the cliff notes, all right? I'm going to give you the cliff notes. So we see in Eden, right? How, did, how does the Bible start in Genesis, the garden? God creates this sacred space, this garden. And what's going to happen in the garden? God's going to walk in the cool of the day with man a sacred space, a sacred holy ground where God was going to dwell in the midst of his people. Then sin enters the world and sin creates a separation between a thrice holy, righteous God and sinful humanity, right? So there's this separation, but God doesn't give up on humanity because where humanity is, that's where God wants to dwell. And so we see, what does God do in Exodus? Fast forward to Exodus, 
And when you read the book of Exodus, if you watch movies, don't watch some recent movies on Exodus because they're pretty bad. Anyways, um, God like, wakes us all the attention. You know, the, the, the signs and wonders, the deliverance out of Egypt. Thank God he rescued them out of slavery. He gives them the law on Mount Sinai. But Exodus keeps going. It doesn't end. And it, from Exodus 25 to 40, there's these instructions on the tabernacle. And everyone just kind of glosses over that and doesn't read that. And, the, and, and Exodus ends, it ends with the glory of God filling the tabernacle, his presence dwelling in the midst of his people. And he even says in Exodus, I think 20, I think Exodus 20, I, I looked at my old sermon, so sorry, go, go watch that uh, if you need. But, he, but he, told, he commanded Moses, he said, build me a tabernacle so, so what? I can dwell in the midst of my people. So what we see, what we learn about our redemption in Christ Jesus, what we learn about the redeeming love of our God is that we're redeemed for the sake of relationship. We're redeemed so that he can dwell in our midst. And that's exactly what we see God do. Exodus ends, Exodus 40, the whole story ends, the, the final salvo, and then, you know, cue the, 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 the credits, is God's glory fills the tabernacle. Fire by night, cloud by day, his glory was so thick that Moses said Moses couldn't even enter the tabernacle. And then the book ends. That's the point of the Exodus. And so God could be with his people in the midst of his people, fire, fire by night, cloud by day, leading them, guiding them, a holy God, but he was still holy, right? It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, and we encounter that in the Old Testament, right? But then, but then look, then fast forward to uh, when Israel is no longer nomadic, and now they're a nation state, right? They've, they've entered the promised land, and then what happens? Solomon builds a temple. What's the purpose of the temple? The place where God's glory would dwell in the midst of his people. So you go to 1 Kings, and 1 Kings 8, the temple is built, it is consecrated, the priests are doing their thing, you know, they're worshiping the Lord. And what happens? God manifests his presence and he shows up. And it says in 1 Kings 8 that the priests were on the floor. They got slain in the spirit. For lack of a better term, they got slain in the spirit. Because when omnipotence falls, human frailty falls with it, right? And so his glory fills the temple. Okay, that, so, so, so then we fast forward to Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus Christ crucified for you and I, for the forgiveness of our sins, the precious gift of the forgiveness of our sins and justification by faith. So when Christ was, was crucified in our place, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, took your place on the cross for your sins, our sins are credited to his account, right? They're nailed to the cross. Our record, of our, our debt of sin is forever paid and washed by the blood of the Lamb. Our sins credited to his account. And then watch this, Jesus's perfect righteousness is credited to our account. Okay? And so it's Jesus Christ alone who can make sinners holy. And so thank God for justification by faith. It's a free gift that Christ purchased for us. But then we need to ask why. Why the forgiveness of sin? Well, because of Acts 2, Pentecost. Because where you are, that's where God wants to dwell. And a holy God can only reside in holy places. So he gave his one and only begotten son to sanctify you so he can be with you even in spite of your sin and wickedness and you not wanting to be with him. That's the gospel. That's his love for you, redeemed for the sake of a relationship. And then Revelation ends, the way the Bible ends, Revelation 21, is it says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And man is with God. That's the message of scripture, God's relentless pursuit of dwelling in the midst of his people from start to finish. Whew. I gotta get, I'm in, I'm, I'm in dad shape over here when I preach, man. I gotta get, I'm getting gassed. 
And so what we see, let me just say this. The church is not a building. The church is not an event. The church is not a social club. The church is the temple of the living God. The church is the place where God's presence, his glory, and his fire dwells. That's the church, the temple of the living God. That's the church. Heaven meets earth in and through the church, not outside the church. This is where God manifests his presence and his power to a lost and dying world. This is what the church is about. We've been given the precious gift of God's presence. That's what, and, and, and the precious gift of heaven is that we get his presence forever. And so the first staggering point uh, with all of this and what we see in Acts 2 is that the all-consuming fire that is the Lord now dwells inside each and every believer. That's mind-blowing. The, the, the same Holy Spirit that hovered over the waters of creation is the same spirit that indwells you upon profession of faith in Jesus Christ. When his atoning work is applied to your heart, the spirit of God fills you and, and, and resides in you and never leaves, okay? So that's staggering. But what, what's even more staggering than that is not just that this all-consuming fire, this God of grace and love dwells within us, but that this God wants to dwell with us to the extent that he gave his one and only son as a sacrifice for our sins so that he could dwell with us. So that worship song we're singing, man, I've been singing that all week. I, I love that song, all right? There is a place I love to dwell. It's the presence of my father. Now, I had this thought as I was praying for my sermon while I was listening to that song. I go, what if that's God's song? Yes, that's our song to God. What if it's God's song to his people? There is a place that I love to dwell and it's the presence of my kids. What if that's his song? And of course it is, look to the cross if you doubt that. Jesus, when he cried out on the cross and said, it is finished, what happened is the veil tore that separated sinful humanity from the Holy of Holies, the Holy God. And, and, and that doesn't just give us access to God, it gave God, the Holy Spirit, access to us. Because wherever the blood of the lamb was sprinkled on the doorposts of hearts, that's where the Spirit of God comes rushing in. And so there is a place that God loves to dwell. And it's in you, and it's in me, in us and among us, his Holy Spirit. And that's what Acts 2 is teaching us. This is what Jesus purchased for us. And here's a crazy thought. What if God really loves you, church? What if he's crazy about you? What if he likes you? What if he enjoys your company? I mean, I mean, heck, he redeemed you for all of eternity. I think he wants to spend some time with you, right? Just what if? And I had this thought. As I was preparing the sermon, I had to rewrite some stuff because the Lord just said, hey, show him my heart at Pentecost. Don't just, don't just you know, do your, the, 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 the seminary thing and you know, go into all the Greek. Show him my heart is what I felt the Lord saying. And then I got this illustration that I, I think was from the Lord. And I think what's happening on the day of Pentecost, it's like a father has been away on deployment, okay? And some of you maybe can relate to this, being military. And he's been separated. That deployment is that separation that's been separating from his kids. Maybe he's got a couple kids at home and his heart is grieving and yearning to be reunited the day he'll be reunited with his kids. But there's a battle that has to be won before he can come home. And on the cross of Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, the war was won. The battle was over. Sin was defeated. The devil, death were all defeated. Okay? And so this father comes back. The battle is won. This father who's separated, that separation of that deployment is taken away. This father comes back to the airport 
And the kids don't know when he's coming. They got their signs made. Maybe they're three and five and they're ready and they know, they know. The mom's saying, hey, hey, the, the, the father's coming. And what does the father do? Just like we see in Acts 2. He comes running in. And what, and watch this. What looks like what feels like the sound of a mighty rushing wind is just a powerful father scooping up his kids and hugging them and embracing them. What feels, what feels like fire, what feels like fire, maybe, just maybe, is the warmth of God's loving embrace with tears in his eyes of hugging and embracing his kids that he's been separated from for far too long. But Jesus dealt with the separation so you can have union with him forever and communion and fellowship. What if that's what's happening at Pentecost, church? What if that's God's heart in this? There's tears. They're popping champagne in heaven. There's a, there's God, the place where God will dwell is in the midst and in the hearts of his people. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. That's his heart. That's what's happening here. He runs in. And what if we can focus on the manifestations of his fire and his wind? What if that's just from a three-year-old and a five-year-old's perspective, when their big dad comes from deployment and scoops them up, they, they, the words they used to describe, man, that felt like a mighty rushing wind, but it's actually a loving embrace, right? The warmth, the fire, that was, that was the heartbeat of their father, loving them and embracing them and squeezing them tight. Beautiful. Our text continues. Let's go. <laughs> I need some water up here. Um, verse four, let's continue. I'm gonna read verse four through 13. And then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. John, you're the man. Thank you, bro. Um, sorry, one second. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, uh, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, uh, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Verse 13, but others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. And so what we see here, this encounter with uh, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit was so powerful that it drew a crowd, right? Like call the cops, call the fire department, like it drew a crowd, like something was happening there. So this crowd gathers and what are they hearing? They're hearing, they're looking at the church, and maybe the crowd outside the, the church didn't see the visible manifestation of God, but they saw, they saw all of these believers speaking in tongues, speaking in human languages that they had no foreknowledge of. Like the Holy Spirit fills them, and all of a sudden, they're, they're what we see here, worshiping the Lord in the native tongues of those in the crowd. And the crowd's response to this, we see repeatedly um, in verse 7 and verse 12, the crowd was amazed. Some, some were there and they were amazed and they were astonished, but it was kind of perplexing and confusing at the same time. And, and the reason they say it was confusing is because of this, is, is they knew this. I mean, they even say this in the text. They're saying that we know that these are a bunch of kind of uneducated Galileans. Like to put it nicely, these are a bunch of kind of like, like Galileans, like uneducated, maybe kind of rednecks, got a Southern accent. And yet what we see before Rosetta Stone, before Google Translate, that guy is speaking fluent Arabic. 
to me right now, right? Without, without a Southern draw, right? Like that's, that's impressive. That's what's taking place here. So they're like, how is this possible that we're all hearing them speak in these language, like these different languages? And if you've ever studied a language, I was a Russian studies major in college, you know, you know, that's, that's impossible. Languages are tough, man. They are really tough. And let alone to not like speak in Russian with an English accent, but to adopt the, the guttural, like, you know, privyev, you know, like all that stuff. Like that's what's happening here. Like in the same uh, kind of accent and all that stuff, just fluently speaking in their language. And what's interesting is that the second the Holy Spirit falls upon the church, immediately they begin to fill with, fulfill what Jesus promised in Acts 1.8. It says this, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be clothed in power, you'll receive power, but that power that comes upon you will thrust you to be my witnesses. And so it's no accident that the very first gift of the Holy Spirit that manifested in Acts is the gift of tongues. Because what do you do with your tongue? You witness, you testify to the excellencies of your Redeemer and your Savior and Creator. And that's exactly what's happening. The Holy Spirit fills them and immediately what comes out of their mouth in a language that they don't know is the mighty works of God, right? Maybe here they're talking about the resurrection of Jesus that they witnessed. Maybe they're talking about some Old Testament uh, uh, stories of God's promise and uh, promises fulfilled, so on and so forth. But they're testifying immediately what happens with the tongue is that they're being witnesses for Jesus, right? And the people are marveling at this. And this is what we learn about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, the gifts are not about our gifts. The gifts are about God's glory and the good of others. The gifts, what we learn in scripture the gifts of the Holy Spirit are so important. That's why we got to pursue love. And if you're going to pursue love, you got to pursue the gifts of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit bring about salvation when they're properly used. The Holy Spirit brings about edification to the church when they're properly used. We see, we see 3,000 people come to know Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians 14, the apostle Paul teaches, and by the way, there is no verse anywhere in scripture where um, there's, a, there's an expiration date on 1 Corinthians 14.1. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you prophesy. There isn't a footnote there and say, okay, church, until, until the last apostle, uh, John on the island of Patmos dies out, then actually do the opposite and despise the prophetic. There's no verse. You can't find it. It's not in the Bible. Pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you prophesy. And then, and then Paul gives an illustration about why prophecy is so needed when it's done properly. Not when you're trying to be a, a sage and, and determine elections and all that nonsense. Okay? Nonsense. Let me just say that. But when it's used wonderfully, 1 Corinthians 14, we have, a, we have a beautiful illustration. He says, when an unbeliever comes in your midst and you guys are operating in the, in, the, in the prophetic gifting of the Holy Spirit, someone can read that guy's mail, his secret sin or secrets of his life. He's on the floor weeping and he goes, God is really among you. And then he gives his life to Jesus, right? Because he says, the only way you know that is supernatural power, the power of the Spirit. That's the gift. It's for edification. It's for God's glory and the salvation of souls. That's why we got to pursue it in love for other people because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he always thrusts you. You always decrease. You should decrease and just be a conduit of his grace and glory. Um, and so the result of this powerful manifestation of the Holy Spirit is 3,000 Jewish pilgrims from the ends of the earth get saved. The, the list of nations here is essentially the four corners of the known world of these Jewish pilgrims who traveled. And then 3,000 of those Jewish pilgrims get saved, and, they, and they, came, they came with the first fruits of their harvest to bring to God, and they left all going back to the ends of the earth as the first fruits of God's eternal harvest and salvation of souls to the ends of the earth, right? Like, hey, come in here, come in here, encounter the presence of God, hear the gospel preached, give your life to Jesus, and now all go to the ends of the earth. 
These were the first seeds of the gospel that were spread out, that were cast by the Holy Spirit himself through the early church to the ends of the earth. Now, listen, it's important to realize this, is that it says in the text, all were amazed. But we know at the end of Acts 2 is not all were saved that day. All were amazed, but not all were saved. Why? Because some people didn't like what they saw. They were perplexed. They were confused. It didn't sit well with them. And because it didn't sit well with them, they said, oh, these guys are drunk. It was like 9 a.m. in the morning. And, they're, and, they're, and as, as their friends are like, I can't believe it. He's saying this. He's saying this. Yeah, I hear him say this. But look at them. They're all babbling like a bunch of, uh, bunch of drunks. And, and, and this is what's so crazy, right? Is their accusation of their encountering what the Holy Spirit does, they're witnessing a divine encounter. And they attribute it to drunkenness and essentially say, oh, yeah, these people, they just got, uh, they stumbled upon grand, grandpa's uh, cough medicine. They pass around some bourbon this morning, and they do what drunk people do. They start speaking fluent Mandarin, you know, when you're drunk. That's what, that's what happens, right? Fluent Arabic, fluent Portuguese. I mean, just, that's, just, that's, happens, that, that's what happens when I drink, right? That, that, it was drunkenness. Like, no, that's crazy, right? But this is, this is why, listen. This is why they, uh, some, some, all were amazed, but only some were saved this day. Here's why. It's called presuppositions of what God can do. Okay? So these were Jewish pilgrims. They believed in God. They loved the Lord. But all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we have our God in a box. One, two, three, four, five, six. And we say you can only operate within the walls of these six, six walls. You can only operate in, in this box so that when I'm presently in the face of anything that screams of divine intervention and divine power that can't be God because I have a presupposition that God can only operate in, in, in this box. And so then there's only two other alternatives. It's, not, it's a naturalistic explanation. They're drunk. Or what we see in the church a lot today, watch this, is, oh, it's demonic. It's demonic. Now, listen, let me hear me say, there is need for discernment in the church. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the discernment of spirits, right? And so, yes, I am not saying we don't need discernment and, and, and all that stuff. But here's what I am saying. What is tragic is this, is that uh, I feel like for uh, a large majority of the church in the West today, we have God in this box. So when we're confronted with uh, divine intervention and, 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 and just encounters of the Lord, we give more credit to the devil than to the Lord himself. So we say that God has sovereignly boxed himself in, but the devil is free to move and operate in power however he wants. Right? How tragic, how tragic. And, and the Lion of Judah will not be caged. He is not caged. And that's what's so interesting about the, the kind of forces of nature that are described in Acts 2 is that um, you, you can't contain a, a, a Category 5 hurricane, church. You can't box that in with theology because the boxes before, the six walls of our, our boxes where we say, God, you can only go this far, that's just our comfortability. That's just our level of weirdness. And we say, if there's anything that I don't like, that can't be God. So therefore, I won't give credit to where credit's due. Okay? And, and, and the forces of nature, the all-consuming fire, the wildfire of God, the, the hurricane force winds, those cannot be tamed. And so let me say this. I'm wrapping up here um, slowly. Is that Pentecost wasn't a one-time thing. Pentecost, um, Pentecost wasn't the uh, God, the Holy Spirit, playing ding-dong ditch with the church. Anyone here know what ding-dong ditch is? Right, when I was back in junior high, we didn't have cell phones and uh, the internet and all that stuff. We had the internet, but you know, I'm not like 60. Anyways, um, but uh, 
we were bored. And so what I do with me and my hockey buddies, we go to my friend's house in Great Falls and we would just go play ding dong ditch and, and just terrorize the neighborhood. What you do, you go, it's like, it's like 10 o'clock at night and you, you knock really loud or you know, ring the doorbell and then you go run and hide in the woods and you just wait till that angry old man to come out you know, in his PJs and start screaming into the woods, just trying to find, you know, great entertainment. Me and my kids are gonna do it later tonight, come join us. Um, just kidding, obviously not, just joking. Um, but the Holy Spirit, the fire stayed, church. Because it's God's house that he bought with the blood of his son. He's not going anywhere. He owns, he holds the title to that residence. It's the blood of the lamb. He went to great lengths to purchase that new home, that temple that he's going to reside in. He's going to reside in. And he needs to be a welcome guest in his house. He needs to be a welcome guest in his house, right? That's why this Acts sermon series, we're opening up our hands to God, the Holy Spirit saying, you hold the keys to the house. This is not our church. This is your church. Have your way. Do what you want to do in us and through us to the ends of the earth. Have your way, Lord. But what we see in Acts is that this powerful manifestation of God's presence upon his people wasn't a one-time thing. We see throughout the book of Acts that there, there were refills, right? The people would gather, the same people that were in Pentecost would gather and buildings would shake. Buildings would shake. The Holy Spirit would fall upon them and they would be given a new fresh boldness to go out and powerfully preach the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified in the face in the face of persecution, and some would lay down their lives for that. And I believe Joe's going to preach that text uh, next month, so I'm pretty excited about that. Um, so we see that this is not a one-time thing because God the Holy Spirit didn't die out with the apostles. God the Holy Spirit didn't die out with um, the people we read about in the book of Acts. The same Holy Spirit that was filling them, that was empowering them for the work of the ministry is the same Holy Spirit in us. And his plan A to advance his kingdom is still his plan A. He still wants to operate. That this is God, the book of Acts is God's church growth strategy that we, there is no plan B. It's the power of his spirit, us opening up our hands and surrender and being empowered to being thrust into the nations and bringing glory to him and how we love others um, and, uh, and show them what our savior is like. And so um, with that said, I wanna say this, is that our God is alive. He is still moving. He's still working in mighty and miraculous ways. And uh, if you would bear with me for the next five or 10 minutes or so, I'm gonna share a testimony of what the Lord's done in my life recently. And uh, I talked to the elders and uh, they encouraged me, gave me two thumbs up to share this because here's the deal. We wanna bring glory to God and I wanna stir fresh faith in you that, that what we read about in the book of Acts, God is still doing this because he's alive. He didn't die out with the apostles. He's still the same God, right? And so as I share uh, what the Lord did in my life. I hope, uh, my only hope is that one, it points you to Jesus and the power of the spirit and what he's capable of doing. And, and then two, and two, create fresh faith for who your God is and hunger for more of what he has in store for you, okay? So uh, long story short, um, long story short, October of 2019, Jen and I went to this conference. And about six months prior to the conference, um, I was not in the best of spots, church. Like I can put on a good face, they're good religious mask, but inside I had chains that I've been carrying my entire life. Chains that I could never break free from, chains that I was fighting against my entire life, okay? And uh, my marriage was not in a good spot. I'll go out there and say that. I was not in a good spot. I was not in a good spot. I loved Jesus. Jesus loved me. I would read my Bible. I'd walk, I'd, I'd, I'd walk and talk with him. I loved him, but there was still this heaviness, heaviness upon me. I could never escape self-hatred and shame and depression, and in my darker moments, uh, suicide, suicidal thoughts. 
Like, that's where it was at. And so, no, so, so that, that's where, where I was at, okay? Early 2019. And then by the grace of God, uh, I was on Facebook, and a friend of mine I hadn't talked to in five years, he posted this blog, uh, and it was all these kind of crazy experiences he was having with the Lord, and I reached out to him, and I said, I messaged him, I said, bro, we got to chat. What is going on? Because the stuff he was sharing was stuff that you would, you know, you would read about in the Gospels happening, that you'd read about in the book of Acts. So for two, so twice a month, essentially, uh, for six months leading up to this conference, I would talk to him, and I would pop popcorn, and I would just listen to what his Christian experience was. And he would share story after story of God working in miraculous ways in his life and through his life, like crazy stuff. And I know this guy, he was working at the Pentagon at the time, okay? Like not, not, like a, not a crazy dude, right? Like he, maybe, maybe you know, maybe he's one of your fellow workers, all right? And, uh, and what that did to me was this, church, what it did is it stirred hunger in me because there was a disconnect from my experience of the Christian life and what he was describing to me, okay? It did not create like, like it just created hunger. And I was saying, Lord, I want that. I'm hungry for that. This is what I read in your word, and I know this is the God that we worship and serve, but I'm not experiencing that. And my buddy goes, dude, you got to go to this conference, man. And I was really hesitant. I kept saying no. I kept saying I was really hesitant because I've never been. This was kind of a charismatic conference. I've never been in one of those environments before. Okay, that's not how I was, I was raised. It definitely wasn't the seminary I went to or what they taught me. But um, by God's grace, we, we went to this conference. And what I'll, what I'll say is this. I'll give you the Cliff Notes version, the, 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 the filtered version. Um, for four days, four days, conference for four days. I don't know how to describe it, and, 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 and forgive me. If you want to um, come and talk to me, and I can put into uh, terms what happened, I can further unpack what happened to me, but I'm just going to describe to you what, what I saw and heard, okay? Um, but that's, that's what I'm going to do, okay? So um, the Lord put me in the washing machine of the Holy Spirit for four days and put it on full blast, all right? That's what happened. I spent, this is an exaggeration, but this is not that big of an exaggeration. I spent more time on the floor of that conference than I did standing up, okay? Some would say that was me being slain in the spirit. I don't like that language. I want to use biblical language. I think that was the Holy Spirit falling upon me, okay? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And listen, when, when those encounters happened, it was, it, was, it was different. Sometimes there was nobody, and watch this, nobody touched me. Nobody laid a hand on me. One of these instances, it was just right where I was, there's thousands of people at this conference, right where I was sitting, I felt fire fall upon me, and it felt like fire, and my internal body temperature felt like 3,000 degrees, and I started shaking and huffing and puffing, and in that moment, I knew it was the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit comes, and what we learn about the Holy Spirit in John uh, 13 through 17 is that the Holy Spirit comes to bring what? Comfort and conviction of sin, and when the Holy Spirit comes upon you like it did on me, that fire came upon me. One, the Lord just kind of peeled back the veil of my sin and said, Nick, here's an unfiltered version of, of your, here's, here's actually how you should see your sin. And it broke me. It was like I was blind and now I see, wow, this is a really big deal. But Nick, here's, here's also the full uh, uh, unfiltered version of my love for you in spite of that, right? But I'm going to reveal this to heal this in your life. And there's going to be repentance that needs to take place. But here it is. So I'm on the ground now. Uh, <laughs> For, for the next three hours, but when that, power, when that power came on me, man, I was sobbing uncontrollably with just conviction of sin, and yet God's love for me in the midst of my sin, okay? And then I started speaking in tongues, church. All right, there it is. Started speaking in tongues, and then I got a commission from the Lord. I heard pretty much an audible commission that got confirmed in prayer the next day by a guy who, who had no idea what that word is, the same exact word I got. And, uh, and then at other times um, during the conference, this um, 
I was, this, this peace came over me, and it dropped me to the floor, and I just stayed there, and it was like heaven met earth, and this blanket of peace was over me for like an hour, hour and a half, okay? Now listen, that, that is the tip of the iceberg for what the Lord did in that moment. I don't want to just glorify the encounters. I want to talk about the fruit, the fruit. Because again, talking about our boxes, we can say, oh, I believe God can only do this and not this, where nowhere in scripture does it say that. And so for me, what was happening when I was on the carpet, that was God's operating table for my heart. That's what was happening. The fire of God is a purifying fire, okay? So the fruit of that encounter in October of 2019 radically changed my life forever, forever. Because when I got off the floor and got back home, I didn't, I didn't leave with the same chains that I had before. I have no other way uh, to describe this, but that the chains I carried into that conference, the Lord took them from me. Like, like, hallelujah, that's what he does. Chains I was carrying my entire life. You don't know how heavy the chains are you're holding until Jesus takes them from you. And then your hands that were once bound in sin and bondage are forever lifted in worship to your king of kings saying, hallelujah, thank you, God. And then, like, not two weeks go by in my life since that time where I'm not on the floor weeping in my time with the Lord saying, thank you, God. I have never encountered this much joy and freedom in Christ Jesus since that moment. In Christ Jesus, personally. I, I, it's, like I, it's like I lost something. I'm like, I should be, there's, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to describe it, but I'm different. It's like I lost my wallet. I can't find my old sin. Shame, self-hatred, also, it's gone. It doesn't, it doesn't, those voices left me. The Lord took it from me. He healed me. Those chains are gone. Praise to God. See, it brings glory to God. That, that, so when the Holy Spirit, the refiner's fire, falls upon you, there's, there's stuff that's taking place. And that's what, at least that's my story. I think it's what we see throughout the book of Acts. We see the Holy Spirit falls, the Holy Spirit falls, and then people change, and they go thrust out, and they're mighty, powerful evangelists for the kingdom. So the, so the Lord cleanses and takes things from me, but then I got stuff I didn't have before. He gave me the gift of tongues, and then, and then since that conference, man, revival's broken out in my family. Revival's broken out in my family, and then other families that are getting judged. And this, this wildfire of the Holy Spirit is spreading since that. And then in addition to that, God, I never once shared my faith in public. I wasn't an evangelist. I was like, oh, like, I'm more, like, introvert. I use my Enneagram to, like, justify my, like, lack of evangelism, you know? And, like, I'm an introvert. I can't share my faith in public. And, like, and so, like, that was me, like, never once. And then I've done more, like, evangelism and praying for people in the street this past year and a half than I've done my entire life. Once the Holy Spirit comes upon you, because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you, can't, you just got to go. You got to go tell them about the living God and what he can do. It's like fire in your bones. You got to go tell them, man. So I'll go to Springfield Mall. I'll go sit down with these. Hey, I feel like, you know, whatever. Just tell them or pray with people in public. That's, that's just what's happening, you know? Like, that's what's going on. And then, and then as I'm praying for, since the conference, and this is glory to God, and I'm going I'm to tell you why I'm sharing this. Uh, things, I have things I didn't have before where as I'm praying for people, I'll get words or visions or pictures for them. And then in addition to that, my dreaming life, and we're going to talk about this next week, when the Spirit of God is poured out on flesh, you, go to Acts, read further down in Acts. You'll have dreams from the Lord, prophetic dreams. So this past year and a half, I have probably had easily 30 to 40 specific prophetic dreams for people that I'm able to call them up the next day or email them and say, hey, I feel like this is from the Lord. And there's specific information that the Lord wants to really, I, I joke that I've done the best ministry uh, this past year and a half with my eyes closed sleeping than I've done awake. And, and, and it's not just the encounter. Listen. I'll share this. I had one dream a month after the conference, a month after the conference. 
And everyone, everyone freaks out. You know, maybe, maybe people have that, that tension of when you talk about gifts of the Spirit, they freak out. But here's, here's why, church. Here's why. I get a dream. Vivid. I mean, I woke up. I wrote it down. I remembered it. It was about uh, a friend of mine who's out of state. There's this bathtub. And there's, beer, there's beer, beer cans all around, scattered around the bathtub. And then I pan to my left, and uh, this guy's got something in and out of his mouth, and he's reading a suicide note. And I'm on the fetal position, weeping my guts out in my dream for this guy, crying out as he's pouring out his heart this, this letter. And I wake up. And then, I, and, then, and, then I'm, and then I'm wrestling. I'm pacing in my office, and I'm, and I'm pacing back and forth. I go, Lord, like, what do I do with this information? He goes, well, you... I gave this to you, you gotta, you, gotta, you know, whatever. And I didn't tell him the detail of the dream, but I called my friend up and said, hey man, I had this dream about you last night that I know was from, I really believe was from the Lord. And, and, in, and in the dream, you were going through something really, really dark, man. Are you, are you wrestling some pretty heavy depression right now in your life? He said, absolutely. He said, this has been the darkest season of my entire life, my entire life. And then in that moment, I said, well, hey bro, I'm gonna pray for you. Before I do, let me, let me say some things to you. What this reveals across time zones is God's love for you. That he would give this, this, this bald man a dream for you to call you up and say he sees your pain. And the pain that I was weeping, I was saying the pain that I was, I was crippled, I was buckled over, I was weeping for you in my dream. That was Jesus' empathy and sympathy for you in the pain that you've been walking in. And he's going to set you free. I believe that he's with you. It's in his sovereignty. But you have to see God's heart for you. That's why we want the gifts of the Spirit. Because my brother in Christ didn't end his life that week because of that. The stakes are so high. The stakes are so high. This is what God does. It's all the Lord. I'm not doing any of it. It's his Holy Spirit, church. And that's why I want to share this. And, and those, that's the tip of the iceberg for these, the stories I could share. Church, that's what our God does. That's what he does in the book of Acts. That's what he's still doing. And our hope as the elders and our leadership here is we want to stir fresh faith that our God is alive. He's not dead. He's got, and, and then two, he's alive. That's why I'm sure I want to bring glory to him, all glory to him, that, I, that, that it's all him. And then two, he's sovereign. I don't want to, I don't want to instill, you know, some people would say that, oh, what I'm describing is a baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then the baptism is always accompanied with signs and tongues. I don't want to use that language because it's very divisive. And then theologians that I respect, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Sam Storms, and John Piper, they all disagree upon what baptism of the Holy Spirit is. But they all agree on this. All of those guys that I just mentioned agree on this. The Holy Spirit is still falling upon his people. That's what they agree. You can call it what you want. He's still falling. The fire is still coming for his people. And when it does, you leave changed. And when it does, his kingdom advances. That's why I want it. It's an issue of his glory and the salvation of souls and the edification of the bride of Christ. That's what this is for, right? And so all to say, it's his glory, his glory, his sovereignty. Your story's not going to look the same as mine. But here's what I know to be true based on the basis of God's word is that there's so much more that God wants to do in and through your life, church. As long as there's breath in your lungs, there's more he wants to give you. There's more he wants to do in and through you. Jesus says, ask. Jesus says, seek. Jesus says, knock. And then when he says that, he says, if you knock, it'll be open. If you seek, you will find. If you ask, it'll be given to you. And then in Luke 11, Jesus says, after the Lord's prayer, he says, he says this, how much more will you father who loves you when you ask, won't give you essentially a demonic spirit, scorpions or snakes is what he says, but how much more will he give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And then 1 Corinthians 14, we're called to earnestly desire, zealously pursue the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are God himself, the Holy Spirit, who indwells us, manifesting through us to love others. So we're given repeated commands in Scripture that are for today to pursue God 
and to hunger for more, to thank him, to rest in his finished work, to raise our hands and worship for the lamb that was slain and our sins are covered and say, Holy Spirit, we want more of you because, because news of who this God is, the lion of the tribe of Judah, who's conquered sin, death, and devil needs to get out. And so we need that. We need that. So that's what we want to invite you to do with this Acts sermon series. And this morning too is, if this message has been resonating in your soul and you were like I was a couple years ago, with this, 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 this resignation in your soul that there's got to be something more to what I'm living. This cannot be the Christian life, is what was in my heart. This cannot just be it, Lord. Because I am reading about you. I know you exist, but I'm not seeing. And now this past year and a half, the Lord goes, here you go, Nick. Here you go. All his grace to me and his sovereignty, right? It was years of battle, years of struggle, and his sovereignty, his perfect timing, right? But there is more there. Behind the command to earnestly desire is the presupposition that that means you have to desire the more that God has for you. If there's not more that God has in for you, there's nothing to seek after. There's nothing to ask for, guys. So what I want to do is just, just right where you're sitting, just give you a moment to do that. I'm going to close my talk. I'm going to invite the band to come up and worship. And right where you're sitting, just talk to the Lord. He's present. His scriptures say that he indwells all of us individually and collectively he's innocent among us. We're the place where his glory dwells. And so you can cry out to him as a blood-bought son and daughter of the living king. You can cry out to your father. And what your needs are today, maybe for you it's a stronghold that needs to be broken in your life. Maybe you can cry out for victory over that, for the grace of freedom so that sin will no longer have dominion over you. Maybe you can cry out today for just uh, uh, an apathy that you have, like I've, like I've done, <laughs> of Lord, uh, Lord, make me an evangelist. Holy Spirit, come upon me and make me weep for lost souls. I don't want to waste the one precious life you've given me on trifles, Lord God. Don't let me waste it. Come, Holy Spirit, fill me with a fresh fire, fresh passion for you, Jesus, and making you know. Okay, so I'm going to go quiet. I'm just, as the band plays, invite you to cry out to your God who's present with us today. Father, we just come before you grateful, God. You're worthy of all honor and all praise and all glory and worship. We thank you that you've taken up residence in us and among us. It's only, only the work of your, of your son, Lord God, that that would ever be possible, Lord God. So thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you for your presence, God, the precious gift, Lord Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come now and you would begin to minister the love of Jesus to the hearts of those presents, Lord God. With those who have their hearts open and their hands open, Lord, to receive from you, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would baptize them afresh in your love, Lord Jesus.
that you let him know that you're the God who sees and knows everything. And yet in spite of your omniscience, of their sin and their shortcomings and their failures, that even still, you want to dwell with them. Thank you, Jesus. You say in Revelation 3, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And before that in Revelation 3, you say that we're pitiful, we're poor, we're blind, naked. And, and then you say after that that you're standing at the door and knocking and that you want to come feast. You want to come enter into relationship with the pitiful, the poor, the blind, the naked, those stuck in sins that they can't shake, God. That's your heart for your people. It's not condemnation, it's love. It's grace, it's mercy, it's kindness, it's compassion. So Holy Spirit, fill us with your love today. Pour out your love in our hearts. Help us to see Jesus. Help us to see you rightly, Father, your love for us, God. So we receive whatever you want to give us. We posture our hearts in full surrender. The stakes are too high, Lord God, and our life is too short. We say, have your way, God. Our life is an altar. We're to be a living sacrifice to you, meaning we don't get a vote. You get, you get the vote, Lord Jesus. So come have you, your way with our hearts, Lord God. But I pray specifically today, Lord God, I believe it's from you that you would communicate your love to those who are wrestling with shame and self-hatred and condemnation. And they say, how can it be that the God who knows me and sees me the way in the state I am wants to hug me and embrace me and dwell with me and cleanse me forever? It's true. It's the gospel. So come, Holy Spirit, have your way. We love you. We worship you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.